0: Now, last time I was up here, I gave you two confessions at the beginning. Do you remember what they were? My first one was that I hate something. I hate packing, okay? I love going on trips, but I hate packing. And the second one was another confession. Do you remember what it was? That I often can be quite indecisive. And I asked you to raise your hands, and you weren't sure, some of you weren't sure whether that was you or not. And so you put those hands up. Well, today I have another confession for you, and this is another thing that I dislike, and that is job interviews. Okay, can anyone relate to that? Now, job interviews are quite terrifying for a number of reasons. I guess because you're on the spot, you're being scrutinized, and everything that you say really matters. Now, probably one of the biggest job interviews that I've had to sit through is one that I did at the end of last year and it's called the President's Dinner. Now, they get all the conference presidents. Now, the conference is basically just a group of people that help keep our massive worldwide church organized, and they do a great job, and they have lovely people, but it's amazing how a lovely person can appear incredibly scary when you have a job interview. And so, I remember it was a night, and you remember, we've been studying for at college for four years, and some of the people who have failed a few subjects probably longer and it all is building up to this one time and based on this interview because some of these people you've never even met before so they don't know who you are and they could send you out to a little country town out in the bush or whatever it might be and so I remember there and I I was looking through my car but what should I wear and I was thinking man I don't have anything where that I should wear and so I found someone else in the in, in Watson Hall at college who um, it was the same height as me, and I just like grabbed his clothes, and I wa- put them on, and I went down to this job interview. Now, I arrived slightly early, and that was a bit of a mistake, because I walk in there, and there's this, this room full of um, important-looking people wearing suits, and a lot of them I don't know, and I'm like, oh, man, this is a bit awkward. And I remember I went up, I decided talking to one, and I said something completely stupid, and I was like, oh, well, there's my chances gone with, with that person. And then it comes to the actual... Um, time when you're actually doing the the interview and how they do it because there was about 11 presidents and about 30 or so students you've got to have some sort of efficient system so it's kind of is a little bit like speed dating now i don't know i've never been speed dating but i would imagine it's it's kind of similar to what speed dating would be they have these tables and you have four people on a table and they have this gong and they hit the gong and then all the 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 people who are looking for people to employ they suddenly rotate and you have a new person and they're asking all these questions, and there's you and three other people, and you sort of somehow sort of got to be impressive when the other people are sitting next to you. And so, job interviews. I dislike job interviews. And because job interviews are not the funnest thing, I decided that I'm going to give all of you a job interview today. Okay? How's that sound? And so, you and myself, we're the people being um, interviewed, and the person doing the interviewer will be. Acts chapter 18. Now, to give you a quick recap of where we've been um, going. Today, Acts chapter 18 is going to finish this, the, part, the section of what we call Paul's second missionary journey. So where we've been, remember we had that fight between Paul and Barnabas. They didn't know whether they should take Mark or not. Um, Barnabas went off to Cyprus and Paul went up north from Antioch up to Tarsus. Then he went and visited a lot of the churches that he had previously been to, like um, Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. And from there, he he set out going around from Antioch. And remember, he tried to go into Asia. Do you remember what was the problem with Asia? The Holy Spirit forbid him to go into there. He tried to. can't go there. So then he went up north, up to Bithynia, which is up here. And he tried to go there. Do you remember what happened? Shut door again. And so he wasn't able to go there. The Spirit was guiding him. And so he gets to Tro- um, Troas, which is this little dot here. And, and he gets this vision of this Macedonian man who calls him to come over to Macedonia. And so they hop onto a little boat. They go up to Philippi. They get there, and they start preaching the word. And is that successful? Partly successful. But then what do they do when he, when he casts out the... There was a slave girl, had the demon. He casts out the demon, and they beat him until he's very, very severely. Then they lock him up in prison. And so while there's a few converts that were there in Philippi, the majority rejected him. So he goes from Philippi and he goes down to um, Berea of Thessalonica. Same sort of situation. goes into the synagogue. He presents his message. They kick him out. So he goes to Berea and they start start to accept the message. And then the ones from Thessalonica, they race down and then they boot him out as well. And so poor Paul is, goes down to Athens and he's there and he's waiting for his companions to come. Now this is what Daniel preached on last week and I wasn't here. So he should have shared with you that at Athens is where Paul does something different. At Athens, Paul contextualizes the gospel. And by that I mean he, lo- he went through the streets, he looked at how they think, he looked at their religions, he looked at their poets, and then he did this incredible elaborate speech where he was, there was this inscription to the unknown God, and he presented to them this unknown God, which is really the God of heaven, and he used their poets, and he did all this incredible stuff. And was that successful? It was in part, but there was only a handful of people that really accepted uh, his message. And so he goes down to the place where we're going to pick it up today, which is in Corinth. Okay, So he goes across from Athens across to Corinth, and that's where we pick it up in... Um, acts chapter 18 so get your bibles out if you've got them turn to acts chapter 18 so as i said we are being interviewed today and i've got up there acts 18's seven interview questions and what we're being interviewed on is would we make a good missionary okay do you think you'd make a good missionary how do you know do you have the qualities of a good missionary Well, through here, we're going to end up with seven questions from the text. And we're just going to start at the top and work our way through. And at the end, you're going to see if if you'll make a good missionary. So let's start with verse 1 to 4. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 4, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So you need to remember that at this point, Paul is by himself. Silas and Timothy, they're still back up with, I think it was the Bereans that they were with, and Paul's by himself, maybe feeling a little bit lonely. What am I going to do here in Corinth? And And he's walking around, and he bumps into Aquila. And he bumps into Priscilla, his, his wife, and they hit it off straight away. And they're talking, and, and the reason, did you pick up the reason why they clicked? They were both tent makers. So Paul, by his profession, he was a tent maker, and he t- meets this tent maker, and suddenly they click. They have this commonality, and suddenly this friendship is, is, is developed. And so Paul goes, and he lives with Priscilla and um, and, um Aquila and Priscilla, and he, and he lives with them and he works there amongst them. Now this gives us, there's a lesson that we can learn from here, and that is that there are people in this community that you are able to reach better than anyone else in this church. Do you believe that? With your collection of hobbies, of skills, of interests, and all those sorts of things, there is, you are in a spot in your life Where there are people who can be saved for God's kingdom, that you are in the very best position to reach them. Pretty incredible thought, isn't it? And here we see Paul. He he draws upon his his background, his 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 trade as a tent maker, and he realizes and he sees some people that he knows he can connect with these tent makers, and so he uses that and he connects with them. Now we're talking about missionaries. And whether we would make a good missionary. So what do you think is, what is a missionary? What do you think? Any definitions? What was that one, sorry? Someone, a representative of God, yep. Any other ideas what a missionary is? Someone who travels to another location. Okay, so we see Paul doing that here, yep. Someone who spreads the gospel. Awesome Hudson. He's on a mission. I love that. Okay, so a missionary does all those things, and it's called a missionary because a missionary is on a mission. So anyone that's on a mission could really be called a missionary. Now, a Christian missionary is someone who realizes that God has called every single one of us on a mission, and that mission is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. And so if we as individuals take hold of that mission, and we engage in that mission then we are missionaries. Some of us might, like Sainz said, might go off to a a far distant place. But some of us might be missionaries right here at home. Now, I've got up here a picture of my trip to Kenya. Okay, They look like some pretty authentic Kenyans there. Now, when I went to Kenya, I thought I was a missionary because I'm going to this distant country. Um, In this country in Kenya, I might come across people who are experiencing poverty, um, people who are living in mud huts, all those sorts of things. And when I got there, I, got, I, I, um, I experienced all those things. But the thing that I discovered when I got to Kenya, especially this part of Kenya near K- a place called Kisi, is that the work of God's mission is so much further along in Kenya than it is back home. Did you know that? In Kenya, at this spot, basically every corner as you drive down the road... There's an Adventist, a Seventh Adventist Christian church on it. There's something like one in twenty or something like that people in this area are Seventh Adventists. So here I am thinking, oh, I'm going to go to this, this, this place where this this mission field and present the gospel to them. And I get there and I'm like, whoa, you know, maybe my mission field back home is, is a bigger mission field than, than actually I've traveled halfway around the world to get to another picture here this is of when we were in dubai now if there was ever a mission field dubai is a mission field uh these are my my good mates in the area dubai in the, that part of the world there's one seventh-day venice christian in around about 100 million people okay so does that sound like a we're going well there in that part of the world pretty big mission field but while I was over there, there was a lady that we were, we were staying at her place and we were driving the car and she was starting up these, these she had this um, like a small group that she was running in her home on a Friday night and kind of like the, the small groups were wanting to get started here next year. And as I was in the car, I said to her, I said, I said you know, you're a great missionary. And when she heard that, she, said, she looked at me and said, I'm not a missionary, what are you talking about? And she had never seen herself as a missionary, even though she's living in a part of the world where there's one Seventh-day Adventist Christian in every 100 million people, and she's there starting up these home groups, introducing people to Jesus, and she didn't see herself as a missionary. Do you think it's possible that us here in this part of, in this community, in Kingscliff, in Tweed, in Currumbin, wherever it might be that we are, we could be missionaries that God has placed in a mission field without even knowing it. When I went back there the year after, um, as a result of this small small group, had actually turned into a whole new church plant over there in Dubai. And we actually, our second mission trip there was to this new church. But all the while, she didn't actually realize that she was a missionary. And there's a danger in thinking that a missionary is someone who's paid who's a professional whose job is to go into um, who's a professional trained equipped person who's paid to go and present the gospel. Cuz do we see that in the book of Acts? We see some people who are like that. And Paul in certain parts of his life he's a full-time all he's doing is completely preaching the gospel, but here in Corinth he does something different. Here in Corinth he meets Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla and he goes and he lives with their He's not getting any income. He's working as a tent maker, supporting himself, and on the Sabbath, he'll go down to the synagogue and he'll present the gospel. Here we have a, almost like a part-time missionary, but the reality is he's actually a full-time missionary because his job is a part of his mission work as well. Through his job, he's connecting with these people, and Priscilla and Aquila end up being really um, important people as we, as we go through So our first interview question, which the book of Acts is asking us, is are we willing to serve God regardless of financial support? You see, being a missionary is not a job. It's not a career. But a missionary is a calling from God. And here we see Paul, if he was being helped out by a church, fantastic. If he had to spend five days a week or six days a week potentially making tents, fantastic whatever it was he realized he was called as a missionary and doesn't matter what his financial situation was he was going to serve god question number one let's go on let's go down to verse five it says when silas and timothy arrived from macedonia paul was occupied with the word testifying to the jews that the christ was jesus so here we see Remember, he was alone to start off with and then silas and timothy they come down and they eventually get there and they see what paul is doing and at that point it says he occupied himself with the preaching of the word and sharing with the jews that the christ is jesus now in athens in chapter 17 we saw that there was this um there's a lot of information about what, jesus, what um, paul actually preached he, he quoted from there their idol, inscriptions on their idols. He, he quoted their poets. He did this really elaborate, fancy, eloquent speech. He tried something new. But when we get to Corinth, it's almost as if Paul says, you know what, we're going to leave all of that aside. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see Paul is um, reflecting on in his letter to the church in Corinth, on how it was that he came and first ministered to them. Okay, So here we don't get this as much from the book of Acts, but Corinth gives us a few extra clues. And it says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling." The thing that I love about Paul is he was always willing to try something new. Can you see that? He just got beat up in, in um, Philippi. He had trouble in Berea, had trouble in Thessalonica. He comes to Athens, he says, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to see how much I can contextualize the gospel, how fancy I can make it, how much I can speak their language. And he gets there and does this elaborate speech, and he has some success, but in some ways it wasn't super-duper successful. He didn't convert the whole town. So then he comes along to Corinth and he thinks, all right, let's try something new again. And he strips it all back and all that he presents is the raw gospel of Christ. Christ and him crucified. kind of reminds me of that song that says, when the music fades, all is stripped away and I simply come and we get back to the heart of worship. Here we see Paul saying, I'm stripping it all back and I'm getting back to the heart of the gospel. Now it says in there, at the end of verse 5, oh sorry, up, up on the screen, it says, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. Why do you think Paul would be in great fear and trembling if his message is Christ and him crucified? Today we have a completely different picture of crucifixion and the cross as what they probably had back then. Today we, we have like really warm feelings when you think of the crucifixion and the cross. We think of Jesus, we think of God's love, and all these sorts of things. But back then, they wouldn't have been thinking, oh, what an amazing thing to die upon the cross. Back then, the cross was a symbol of shame, a a symbol of failure, a symbol of defeat. Um, It was the worst possible ending that you could possibly have. And here we see that Paul is presenting to these Jews who the Christ is, and he's saying that it's Jesus who died upon a cross, and he says he does so with great fear and trembling. He says in an early part in 1 Corinthians, he says, and this is sort of makes us help, helps us understand, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God of god so why would christ crucified be a stumbling block to jews you have to think that there was this great messianic messianic expectation that the jews had right throughout the old testament from genesis 3 verse 15 with the gospel promise right through to the sac um to the temple system um with the davidic um covenant that 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 there would be a this king that would come and would establish his kingdom. And they had this huge, exalted, idealistic picture of who this Messiah would be. And you can just imagine that Paul's there in the synagogue and he's going through and he's re- reviewing the great prophecies of the Old Testament. And he knows in the back of the mind that the conclusion of this is that the, the person who fulfilled all these was this lowly Jew who, who grew up in this town that's known for its wickedness that lived as a homeless man, was rejected by the Jews, and then killed upon a cross. And Paul would be coming up to that and just trembling because he knew that in their minds how foolish this would sound. And the Gentiles, he was, he was um, Paul, saying to the Gentiles that, that this Jesus is the one whom you need to put your belief, your trust in. Trust in Jesus because he died upon a cross, It would have seemed foolish. But what Paul does is he says, I'm going to preach, I'm going to strip it all back and I'm going to preach Christ and Him crucified because that is what has changed my life. He knew that when he looked at the cross, he saw something completely different. He saw the power of God. He saw a Savior who was willing to lay all aside in order to reach out and to save him. And that was what drove him as a missionary. So we see that Paul is trying something new. He doesn't know if this is going to work, by the way. He's hoping it's going to work. And so the second question that we're going to ask ourselves is, are we willing to try new things? Okay, Because we see that in Paul's life. As a missionary and as we go into the communities, we're always going to be faced with different challenges, different people, different obstacles, all sorts of things. And it's going to take a whole range of new experimental things to reach these people. And Paul was someone who was willing to try new things. And if we are going to accept this job as a, as a missionary, we need to be willing to try new things as well. Oh, we'll go back to that one. Click too far. All right, let's go to the next passage. So Acts chapter 18, verse 5. We're going to read 5 again through to 6. It says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him... He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I like it when it says there, it, you might not have picked this up. I found this sort of interesting this morning. It's where it says in verse 6, and, and when they opposed him. It's almost like it's not if they opposed him, but when they opposed him. Paul had this history of, of meeting opposition. And here it's as if he's trembling and he's trying this new thing. He's saying, I'm stripping it all back. I'm going to have just the raw gospel. And what do they do? They oppose him. They mock him. And basically, he gets to the point where he has to shake his clothes and he leaves. Because this people were not... His method, while it was effective for some, did not reach all of these people. Now, I've got a picture up here. This is myself... This was, I think, about grade eight, okay? I'm looking a little bit beat up in that picture, aren't I? What happened prior to this, about maybe an hour earlier, I was on my motorbike, and at my house in Port Macquarie, we have this, um, we have about three or so different motorbike tracks. And my brother and I grew up just being super into motorbikes and going to motocross races and all these sorts of things, and we wanted to try and be as good as we can on a motorbike. And this day, I was coming around this corner, and I saw this jump, it was it was a little jump. It was more of a speed jump, maybe about this high. And I thought I would try seat-bouncing this jump. Now, if anyone knows anything about mo- riding a motorbike and doing jumps, a seat-bounce is when you're going up the ramp and you sit on the seat, which sort of compresses the suspension and makes you get higher. Problem is, if you do it on a tiny little jump, it's not going like, to allow you to do this, but you're just going to go, boom, and flick over the front. You might have seen people do this if they've tried to jump a bit, like a... A BMX bike while sitting on the seat usually does the same thing. So here I am racing around this corner. I'm probably doing about twice the speed that I needed for this jump. I don't know what I was thinking. And I come up to it, hit power band, and I sit on the, on the seat, and I hit this, this bump, and I just go boom, flying through the air. It was probably, I think it was about a 10-meter jump or so. I don't, it, was, it wasn't really high, but it was really like a speed jump, flying through there, and I just remember looking down and thinking, uh-oh, oh, not going to end well. And I just went, crashed in headfirst into the ground. Um, and you can see I was wearing a full-face helmet here, and I still grazed my face. That sort of shows the impact. My collarbone that you see there is currently dislocated. My elbow was broken. Face was beat up. I was shook up. And not a good experience. Now, the thing is that after I had this, this big crash, before that I was riding heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps. And this took me out of action for the entire holidays, which was a really bad thing. But the sad thing is, is after that, I never really got massively back into it, OK? I, did a, I rode a little bit, and then I eventually sold my bike, and I got out of the whole motorbike thing. This crash was really the end of my motorcycle career. Now, you might be wondering why I'm sharing this with you. Well, let me try and link this to our story. Here we see a picture. Can you see that? This is the Corinth Canal, okay, so this is where our story's from, and here we have an Australian motocross freestyle dude called Robbie Madison, and he's jumping, I don't know, like, well over 100, probably 100 meters or something, across this canal. Now, I never ended up being one of these dudes, okay, and there's probably a number of reasons, more than just what I'm going to share with you now, but... Here's another guy. This guy's one of my... When I was into this, this was like my, my hero back in the day. This is Travis Pastrana. He's like the Michael Jordan of freestyle motocross. And you see there he's doing a backflip, some crazy trick in the middle, over like between two buildings. Um, this dude is crazy. He's won five um, X-Game gold medals, five Gravity Game gold medals. He won his first worldwide competition when he was like 14 years old. First to land the double backflip in competition. Insane um guy travis pastrana now let me read to you a number of his injuries that this guy has had okay now it took me a little while trying to sort of piece together so this might not be perfect but i tried to piece this together from the different things i could find on the internet and it was something like this left wrist broken twice right elbow broken six times knee broken nine times left thumb broken twice broken tibia broken fibula broken back twice, torn ACL, torn PCL, torn LCL, torn MCL, concussions at least 25 times. And when he was 14 years old, he cased this jump and his spine actually separated from his pelvis. And apparently he's like one of only two or three people in the world who's ever survived from this injury. And he was like going in and out of um, consciousness over like a few days in his wheelchair, bound for like a number of months, Now, this guy's going to struggle when he gets old. And in fact, he's already struggling. (laughs) And so what he does, he doesn't do as much of the motocross stuff now because his body is basically almost a cripple now. Um, But now he's into rally driving, and he's won like three um, world championship rally competitions in a row. Okay. So this guy, it doesn't matter what hits him, he just keeps getting back up and getting back up. Now, what makes the difference between my motorcycle career and Travis Pastrana's motorcycle career? What was that? Insanity? Okay. That's probably part of it. And I probably didn't have any of the skill that this guy had. But the thing about Travis Pastrana... Oh, here's a picture of him in the thing. Is he's always willing to crash. He has a great willingness to crash and a great willingness to get back up. For me... I went until I crashed, and then I never really quite got back up, okay? Now, let me read, I've got it on the screen, actually. This is a verse, and what we're going to look at, what made Paul stand out from the everyday first century missionary? Let me read you from 2 Corinthians, again, to the church in Corinth, chapter 11, it says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and the list goes on. Does that sound, kind of sound a little bit like Travis Pastrana? It does a bit, doesn't it? And so our third question here is what are we, the person to be a missionary, is are we willing to get knocked down and get back up again and there's probably some people here in this in here in listening to this who have tried to step out and share their faith tried to do whatever else might be and they've got knocked down maybe today you've been knocked down and you've never really got back up well the challenge that we get from this part of of the of the chapter is missionaries are willing to get knocked down and get back up okay let's go to our question number four and we're going to read from verse 7 through to verse Ten. Okay, it says, and he left there and went to the house of a man named um, Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house next door. To, or his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, "Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or." attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Can you see? Knocked down from the Jews. How long did it take him to get, get back up? He goes, shakes out his clothes. I'm now going to the Gentile, Gentiles. And he moves in next door to the synagogue. Now that's a pretty bold move to do. Because the Jews have a pretty big history of, of smashing Paul, And here he's setting up shop right next to the ones that have basically just kicked him out. He's incredibly bold. As we go through, it's almost as if, and it's easy to get this idealistic picture of, of Paul, that, that he's someone that was just absolutely fearless. It was like he walked in these cities and said, I don't care if you beat me or stone me or, or whatever you do to me, I'm just going to do it anyway. You almost get that feeling of Paul, don't we? However, in verse, I think it was verse verse 9, Paul gets this vision, and it says, The Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now, do you think God gives prophetic visions for a reason? Do you think Paul would, uh, that God would give, go to Paul and say, Paul, don't be afraid, if he was like, I'm not afraid. Okay, Paul. um, God gives messages, he gives um, prophecy, those sort of things. He gives it for a reason. And if he's saying to Paul, don't be afraid, you won't get harmed. I have many people in this city. What does that teach us about Paul? He was afraid. Paul was not some extraordinary elite person that's so different to us, but Paul was just an ordinary, everyday person. Which sort of brings us back to our little, like, Subtitle of our series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And to remind you what he said in 1 Corinthians. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, but I resolved to to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in boldness and fearlessness and... Is that what it says? I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Here, I see, I see Paul in this part of his journey. He's there, he's presenting Christ, and Christ crucified, and he's thinking, oh man, I don't know if this is going to go well. And it's almost like, sometimes when I've been like lining up a motorbike jump, and I'm there thinking, oh man, this is scary. This might be the worst decision I ever made. And that's kind of what, what Paul's thinking. Now, when we step out as missionaries, we might not face dangers as extreme as necessary. poor faced, where he's getting, he's getting beaten up and stoned. We might do. But we have all sorts of things that keep us afraid and make us fearful and stop us from becoming who God wants us to be. I remember when I was in high school, and we had this, this small group that we, that we had, and I was going to invite one of my friends from school. No Christian background or... Anything like that, well, not that I knew of. And I was going to invite him to come to a small group Bible study at my, at my home. Now, this is a public school. Now, I was thinking, man, this, is, this just seems like a crazy thing to do, to talk to this person who was probably just going to think, what on earth are you th- you've been trying to do here? And I remember sitting in class next to, to my friend there, and I was, it was almost like I felt like what Paul says here. I was, I was there in weakness with great fear and trembling, thinking, oh, no. Like, what is he going to say? And I'm just there... Here's a good moment. Oh, no, I don't miss that moment. Um, maybe try again. Oh, oh, no, wrong. And then eventually I just had to just step out and, and ask him. You know what he said? He said, okay. I was like, oh, that wasn't too hard. <laughs> now, our fourth question is based on what we've seen here, and that is are we willing to step forward when we're afraid? Okay. Because throughout the life of Paul, we see Paul going from place to place, to place, to place, to place. And he's afraid. But even though he's afraid, he takes that step anyway. Okay? And throughout the whole Bible, one of the most frequent commands that God gives, you know one of the most frequent commands God gives throughout the whole Bible? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Because we're so prone to fear. But if we want to be a missionary, we need to be willing to step forward when we are afraid number five verse 17 uh, 11 to 17 sorry to so acts 18 verse 11 to 17 it says and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of god among them now, that's pretty incredible already because paul hadn't stayed that long in anywhere so far because he usually is chased out and beaten up by this by that stage he stays there a year and six months but when um galio the, was proconsul of achaia the jews made a united attack on paul and brought him before the tribunal saying This man is is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now, I can just imagine Paul at this point, he's dragged, he's like, oh no, here we go again. And his mind is just thinking of, he's looking around, is there a door open that I can run out of? Is there a way that I can flee, get rid of this grip? What am I going to say? How am I going to defend myself? And he's just going through every sort of idea that he can possibly think of to free himself from this fearful situation that might lay before him. Verse 14, and it says, But when... Paul was about to open his mouth. Gallio said to the Jews, If it was a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them out from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days. Did Paul have to fight his own battle here? He didn't fight the battle. God stepped in and fought for him. And I just, as I said before, imagine Paul just thinking of all the options of how to escape and he's just, he's grasping, he's thinking, uh oh, there's no escaping this one. When suddenly, God has a solution to his problem that he didn't even realize was possible. Now, I've got a a quote from here from the book Desire of Ages. Um, Which is a great book um, describing the life of Jesus, and it says this it says, Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide of us, of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service in honour of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Do you like that? Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide provide for us of which we know nothing. And when you step out and be a missionary, there's going to be times when you're in situations and you don't actually know if there's there's any possible way to get out of there. It's a comforting thought to realize that God has a thousand ways to solve this problem, and we haven't even thought of one of them yet. And so our next question is, are we willing to encounter problems only God can solve? Reminds me of the Israelites, when they're there and they hit the Red Sea, They've got out of Egypt, and, and, and the Egyptians are closing in on them. They're cornered, and then God says to them, don't worry, I will fight for you. Being a missionary will take us into, into situations, and we will encounter problems that only God can solve. Question six. Oh, okay, question number six. So we're going to read from verse 18 now to 21. It says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brother's and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Notice that Priscilla and Aquila, who he just was working with, are now missionaries themselves. You can see how jobs can be mission fields. Um, at Centre, uh, he had, had his, um, cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said. I will return to you if God wills. And he sets sail from Ephesus. So here we have Paul at Corinth. He goes back up to Ephesus. Now, do you remember what happened last time he tried to enter Ephesus or to Asia? Holy Spirit forbid him. Here we see he gets there. He goes into the synagogue. He starts presenting Jesus. And they're accepting it. And they ask him to come back. Now, that's a pretty good thing for Paul. Usually, he goes in the synagogues, and they beat him up, and they kick him out. Here, they're accepting it, and they want him to be there, and he's like, awesome, but God's leading me to back down towards Jerusalem, and he says these words, I will return to you if God wills. Now, this one is a real challenge for me, and that is, are we willing to define success as following God's will? Because if Paul went into Ephesus at that moment, there was a great, large number of people that would seem ripe and ready to, to hear the gospel. He probably would have had lots and lots of conversions. But it was God's will for him to head on down to Jerusalem. Are we willing to define success as a missionary as following God's will? All right, final, final question, and we're going to finish the story. Verse twenty-four through to 20, uh, twenty-four, through to we'll go twenty-five, and then we'll finish it to the chapter. Now, a Jew, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So here in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila, they go in there and they meet this man by the name of Apollos. Now Apollos, Apollos has all the qualities that any employer would be looking for in a great preacher. He's eloquent. He can communicate ideas just effortless, effortlessly. Just, it, just, it just flows from his mouth. Not only that, but he's competent in the scriptures, in the Scriptures. He actually has something to share. Some people are really good at speaking but they don't really have much to share. Some people have a lot to share but they're not so good at speaking this man has both of those things and it says that he was fervent in spirit now the word fervent comes from literally is is the word to um to like boil over and to bubble over like like a pot's boiling so here he's like he's just so passionate and so earnest that it's just bubbling over from him he's just he's got the passion he's got the the zeal he's got everything that you would want in a preacher except he knew only the baptism of john now where did john's ministry go up to in the in the gospels do you remember John came and he pr- proclaimed, The Messiah is coming. We need to get ready. We need to repent. He was baptizing people. And it's as if, uh, it seems that Apollos was there listening to this and he learned about this message. And he said, Wow, that's an awesome message. I need to tell everyone that the Messiah is coming. And so he's racing around. He's there in Ephesus. He's laboring as a missionary, but he only has half a message. His message is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ is coming. And Priscilla. And Aquila, it says in verse verse 26, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I can just imagine Priscilla and Aquila listening to this guy, who's so passionate that Jesus is come, and they're just inside it, and they're just like, whoa, wait until we have a chat to this guy afterwards. And I imagine they come, they they shake his hand at the front door or something, and Say, I think we should um maybe have lunch together. And they sit down with Apollos and they say, You know how John was describing about the Messiah coming? Well, he's come. And they told him all about the miracles that Jesus did and, and, and the great signs that he did and the way that he helped people and that he raised Lazarus from the dead and all these things, and they shared with him about, about the cross and how how he, he had died upon the cross for our sins and all we need to do is believe in him and then he rose from the dead and then the Holy Spirit was poured out and, and, and all this has happened. All that you're saying is going to happen has happened. And it says, verse 27, And when he wished the cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, who, power, who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was jesus and here we see that this man who had so much potential gets not just a half message now but gets the full message and it's like he's released he sends back over and actually where he went was back to um corinth the place where paul was just ministering and he is just there on fire he's got the he's just encountered the gospel and he's preaching but the thing that really stands out to me from from apollos is that apollos was willing to learn it says earlier on in verse 25, it says, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was someone who was being effective because he was willing to listen to instruction. And when he sat down with Aquila and Priscilla, he could have just said, oh, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm, I'm the eloquent one here. I'm the one who's trained in the scriptures. I'm the one who has this great background. I'm the one who has all these things. But he didn't. He sat there. He listened. He listened from these people who probably knew a than he was. And he learnt the full message. And so our final question is, are we willing to be a lifelong learner? Alright, how how'd you go on the job interview? Alright, pull out your devoted cards. Now for those who are new, the devoted cards are simply a way that we can apply the things that we're learning from the Scripture and we can apply them to our lives. Because if we hear the theory of the, of the Bible but it makes no tangible difference in our life, then what's the point? So that's why we have these devoted cards. Now, can the deacons, uh, if you didn't get one of these when you came in, just raise your hand. Or if you need a pen, raise your hand. And there'll be some people walking around with little boxes, and they'll be handing those out. So open up your devoted card, your connect card. Now, on the left has some spots where you fill in some information, whether you're first time guest, second time guest, age, etc. But on the right. I want you to look at this section on the left of the right side of your card. And on here we have three decision questions that we can make from today, based off our sermon. And the first one is, I would, lo- I would like to learn more about the Jesus that Paul was so passionate about sharing. You see, Paul, when, you, when Paul was going around, he was going from town to town to town, getting smashed, getting beaten up, getting shipwrecked, all these sorts of things. And maybe today you're you're hearing this and saying, wow, if someone like that was so eager and so willing to share the gospel message, then I want to learn more about what that message is. So if you'd like to learn more, tick that box. Number two, Jesus, I want to fulfill your calling upon my life to be a missionary. And hopefully I've got rid of the myth today that missionaries are just those people that go over to places like kenya okay missionaries are anyone who realizes that god has called them to share the good news with those people in their community at their work with their friends at their school um and so today if you if you want to say jesus i want to fulfill your calling upon my life to be a missionary then tick that box now question number three is based completely off our questions that we've got up here on the screen and it says jesus today i've seen that question number blank and it could be more than one is a weakness for me help me to be more willing in this area of my life one of the questions i used to always hate in interviews is do you have any weaknesses okay because obviously i have lots of weaknesses but I don't want to share my weaknesses with you because you're going to try, hopefully give me a job. Now, hopefully as we've gone through this, you might have realized that some of these areas, and I think all of us will have at least one of these areas where we have some weaknesses. And the good thing is that all of these aren't necessarily traits that can't be changed, but all of these are to do with how willing we are to share Jesus. They all start with, are we willing to dot, dot, dot. Okay. So it says, are we willing to, whatever it is. And so for your, the third one is, if you realize today that you have a weakness and you want God to help you to be more willing in that area of your life, write down that little number and tick that box. Now on the right side it says, I would like information about receiving Bible studies. Maybe you're here today and you know some things about the scripture and maybe you've been brought up in a Christian home or, or maybe you don't know anything about God at all. But you want to be like Apollos and you want to be a lifelong learner and you want, to be, you want to be able to um, learn about the, the gospel and the story of Jesus more adequately, and you would like Bible studies, and tick that box. And finally, if you want to be fully committed to Jesus, and you want to be baptized, and you've got that decision there for you as well. Now, the final thing I want to just sort of, question I want to leave you is, is why should we be a missionary? Why should we? Sounds like pretty hard work. Paul got pretty beat up over it. It's kind of like, why would I want to jump my motorbike across the Corinth Canal? Like Some people might have reason, but you might be thinking, that's not something that I would ever really want to do. But let me just remind you that we are called to be missionaries because Jesus is the ultimate missionary. And when we go through these things, we see that Jesus was willing to be a missionary regardless of financial support. He had the glories of heaven and he laid it all aside for being this homeless dude upon this earth and then dying upon a cross. Jesus was willing to try new things. The incarnation is a pretty radical idea. And Jesus said, I'm going I'm to do that. Um, Jesus was willing to get knocked down and get back up. Throughout his life, he got knocked down in the wilderness and with the Pharisees and all these sorts of people, and then knocked down upon the cross to death but he got back up. Um, he was willing to step forward when he was afraid. And this one, I just think of Garden of Gethsemane, where, where he's sweating drops of blood. Because he's so afraid of what's going to lie before him. And he takes that step regardless. Um, Are we willing to encounter problems only God can solve? Are we willing to define success as following God's will? In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that Jesus was facing the cross. And the cross was the the thing that looked so, from, from an outsider's perspective, so unsuccessful. There's nothing successful about a cross. But Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And he followed God's will. And he defined his success by that Jesus is the great missionary. And, and we are called to be missionaries after Jesus as our example.